Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan. We're back, baby. That's right. At Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, this very one, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we are in the middle of our series, Summer on the Mount, and this Sunday's text was Loving Your Enemies. Pastor Evan, would you read that for us? It would be my pleasure. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. All right, Pastor Hayden, what was the... Uh, Main point to Jesus' little mic drop at the end. Yep. As Christians, you have a responsibility to display your relationship with God by reflecting his benevolence and concern for all people, including your enemies. All right. Sorry? Yeah, and that found its way in three points. Three points. You need to love others indiscriminately. Number one. Reject the world's superficial definition of love. That's two. And intentionally pursue progressive holiness. All three. That is our responsibility uh, when it comes to this text as Christians who are following Christ's example. And so we had quite a few questions come in, which I love it. And as a reminder, remind them. A, you can ask questions in the sermon or even directly after, and we might be able to answer them here. But you have to yep. do it pretty quickly after service. Yeah, we report, we record this podcast directly after service. And so if you have a question, you would like to scan that QR code on your note sheet, scan it, ask a question and submit it during service or directly after, and we will try to get to the questions during our podcast. And we have three. And so we have three questions that we would like to answer when it comes to these teaching points, and maybe we'll address a couple of other things after that. All right. Well, first question, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? You read them. I read them. Does this mean we let our enemies walk all over us and put us down constantly? Do you want to answer that one first before the next one? Let's see. Uh, yeah, I think this is uh, even I think last first question is two questions. Yeah, yeah. The first question is two questions. I think that first question, it, the sermon from last week, I think would be really helpful uh, for you to go back and listen to if you haven't to say that you know we're not doormats for people, and we don't want people to. We're not here to let people be putting us down constantly. I'd ask questions like, why are we around people who are constantly putting us down? I mean, that's a good question. Who is your community? Who are you connecting with on a regular basis? Are you a part of the family of God regularly? Do you find yourself in a small group or what we call our life groups? Are you finding yourself in community on the weekends, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, serving God regularly? Because I find if you're doing that, you're going to be in, in a, around a group that's constantly building you up and not putting you down. So I would ask first, you know, are you who do you find yourself spending your time around? And Scripture does not say that we need to be spending copious amounts of time with our enemies. As a matter of fact, it, I think it, it would speak opposite of that. We, if they're our enemies, we ought to not be spending tons of time with them, although we ought to be uh, treating them in a way that would reflect the character of God, uh, which is that we're going to love them, we're going to be praying for them, we're going to be compassionate towards them and deferential to them and caring for them and concerning ourselves with their well-being. 
And so I think that we're not, it's not that we're letting them walk all over us and put us down constantly. Uh, I think that there is, you know, wound up in this question, uh, a kind of presence that you're with this person a lot. And I don't think that would be wise uh, to be around people who are constantly putting you down. So I'd say find a new community. Uh, because if if the people are putting you down that you find yourself around a lot, you shouldn't be around them all the time. Well, and that's you know First Corinthians uh, fifteen thirty three. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. There you go. And so obviously, I can see this maybe in a marriage. It's like, what if your spouse? Yeah, is, but we'll get to that in we'll a minute. Get, that's we'll another get, question. There's later. another question. Yeah, uh, but the second question there. Well, I had to read it. I'm the, yeah, I'm go the ahead. question reader. I was going to let you. I was setting you up for it, Ooh, and you missed. I whiffed. I, it was like a ball in the tee, and I yep. struck out. Mm-hmm. Does loving uh, like God, the way it's a, sorry. Does loving like God, um, does love loving like God's love mean we can't stand up for ourselves and let ourselves uh, get walked over like a doormat? Yeah, I think this. I mean, I feel like next last week's sermon is going to be really helpful for the person who asked this question. It says we're not doing here to love like God means that we're not exacting personal vengeance, and so. Uh, if what you mean is, can I exact personal vengeance on people, and that is, quote-unquote, standing up for myself, then the answer is no. You know you cannot do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, last week we said, we said when Jesus says, if somebody slaps you on uh, your right cheek, turn to them the other also. This is the idea of saying, even like my point in that sermon was to say, you need to be willing to receive uh, I forget now exactly how my point was in that text, but you got to be willing to receive more uh, uh, ridicule. And, and that seems to be what we're dealing with here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you're not here to take personal vengeance. You, you know, you're not, you know, if somebody's beating you up on the side of the road, I think that's a whole other question. That's a whole other question. Yeah, defend yourself. But if by standing up for yourself means uh, that you're going you're gonna to get into a word match with somebody, then yeah, I think I think yeah, I think that's not what Scripture tells you to do whatsoever. I don't think that would be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, you need to be asking yourself, why do you find yourself in a situation where it's the norm that you're being walked over and put down constantly? I think that's really the main question here. And you're having evil done against you, and so a text that you should have memorized and know how to apply is Romans twelve nine through twenty one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I would encourage you, you all listening to this, to maybe pause and read Romans twelve through twenty one because it's verses fourteen to twenty one specifically addresses how to handle relationships that you are in, in conflict with someone. And for example, repay no one evil for evil, verse 17, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If so, uh, if possible, so far it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Hence, kind of applying your sermon on last week, but something to apply this. And, and verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, for by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And that, that phrase right there is to, it's the idea of leading them to conviction of sin uh, against God and their hopes that they would repent. And so that is why you're doing it, to point them to God. And so verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Any other final thoughts on that question? Nope, it's good. All right, well, here is question number two that was sent to us saying, I completely agree that we, as believers, are called to love all people regardless of how uh, little they love us. 
However, I do struggle to understand some of the Psalms expressing hatred towards the ungodly. For example, Psalm 139, 20-22, which, which reads, They speak evil against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. Or Psalm 137, verse 9. It says, Blessed shall be, uh, be, sorry, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Thank you. Can you help me understand how these two passages don't go against Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5? Yeah, I think. Very good question. Yeah, it's a great question. I love it. Uh, Taking scripture and trying to understand scripture. Right, absolutely. I think, on one hand, you need to categorize these psalms, which have been done historically. These are called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory. And imprecatory psalms are psalms that are invoking or or asking for God's judgment to be pronounced on uh, on enemies, particularly David here, uh, who's asking for God to pronounce judgment on nations uh, that are against Israel, and so I think on one hand, understanding these are imprecatory psalms, imprecatory is 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 helpful on one hand because because of this, like we understand that David is the king of Israel, and that David is uh, the representative of of Israel's uh, nation, and so on one hand, yeah, I mean, as as a as a leader of the nation, he's going to say, "God pronounce judgment on my enemies." And why do I say it this way? Is him leading Israel? Because what he's not doing here is trying to pronounce personal vengeance and judgment on people. And actually, what he's doing, he's referring to God's law, on saying, "Hey, God, in your justice, bring something down." Right. Which, yeah, absolutely. And that's that second part of that. And that, but the first part that, as we get to that second part is recognizing that, that David isn't trying to enact personal vengeance on someone. As a matter of fact, and, and P.E., you made this point earlier, that when he does have the option to enact personal vengeance, he doesn't. His, as we look at Scripture as Absalom and Saul, Saul, he doesn't enact personal vengeance. He always leaves vengeance up to the Lord. Which, you know, you might say, well, what about Goliath? He stood against him. He was his enemy. He killed his, his enemy. And, and he was an instrument of God's but what justice. did he say? I come in the name of the, the Lord. Lord. Right. He is enacting God's God's justice as a part of Israel's army. And so even all of that, you see a a a very good distinction between uh, the way that God used a nation to pronounce judgment on another nation uh, versus this idea of personal vindication or this idea that I'm being vindictive. And so therefore I would use the imprecatory Psalms for me to, as an excuse to be personally vengeant or to uh, to not love my enemies and to actually give me an excuse to hate them. Uh, and I think, uh, secondly, with that is this idea that uh, we need to recognize that the imprecatory psalms are pointing towards uh, the justice of God, desiring God's justice to reign. And when that justice is looming and coming, we also want to pray, like we see throughout Scripture, that uh, that God would, would forgive the enemies, that, that the enemies would turn away and not have to receive the justice of God. We see that in God's desire. Uh, With Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Being murdered. saying Jonah. And Jonah. We have Nineveh. Stephen. Stephen, I mean, over and over again, it's like, yeah, these are God's enemies, but you know, our desire, even even God says, I don't, I have no, I don't rejoice, I, in, the I don't rejoice of, in the death of the wicked. You know, it's right, exactly right. And so it's like, okay, 
I think a really good answer to this is don't allow the imprecatory psalms to be your reason for personal vengeance. Allow the imprecatory psalms to bring to mind the reality that God's justice is coming and his vindication is coming with him. That should not be our excuse to enact personal vengeance on others. Uh, but and, and I think the final thing here, and this kind of, I hope, gets to the heart of, of us, is to say, you know, we see this over and over again in the Psalms, is David is appealing to the Lord. Like, you know, Lord, I want to feel the way you feel. Like, I'm upset because you're upset. I'm offended because you're offended. And how many of our issues and discrepancies with other people is because we're offended? We're the hurt ones. We don't think much of what God wants. We're hoping that God would side with us in the situation. But this didn't stem from, or this didn't initiate from the fact that God is upset or God is, is offended. We, we often start these things and instigate these things because we've been offended or we've been hurt. They're our enemies, not thinking twice about what God thinks until we're trying to validate why we should be able to hate them. And then we say, well, God wants me to hate these people, right? Which is completely opposite of what David's doing here. Well, and David's actually applying Romans. And, and so they kind of prove it, prove it this way. God calls us to love our enemies, and that is Romans twelve fourteen through 21. Don't repay evil for evil, but give thought to do what was honorable in the sight of all. Now let's go look at the Psalm, Psalm 139. This is written by David, and he's talking about his enemies who are trying to kill him. And what is he doing? Entrusting his life to the justice of God. Mm-hmm. And he's turning to that, saying, God, will you please save me. Mm-hmm. Now we have Psalm 137, not written by David, someone written after David, mm-hmm. talking about how the Edomites uh, sided with the you know Babylonians on the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. And what is verse 9? It says, blessed shall he, uh, he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Like, it sounds a bit aggressive right there. That does sound a bit aggressive. But what we, this author is talking about is the justice of God to bring another nation to conquer the nation that conquered Israel, right. which see we see happen with Persia being that partial deliverer of Israel mm-hmm. against Babylon. And so he's this author, even in Psalm 137, is appealing to the justice of God and, in, and not to the personal vendetta against their enemy. An individual, yeah, or an enemy in general. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that answers a question, at least helps you get to a great start as you look through uh, what the Scripture does talk about when it comes to hating and loving, particularly when it comes to our command from Christ to love our enemies. All right, now referring back to the earlier comment about, okay, what if this enemy is my spouse? Uh, here, here's a question that someone wrote in. As a wife toward a husband, the definition of love is sometimes confusing. If you have a husband who drinks uh, consistently or acts rudely toward you, how is love defined? Yeah, there's the first question. There's a couple of questions in here, but that's a question. Uh, I don't think love's defined any different based upon someone's actions or disposition, or if they're a drunk and they drink consistently, or they don't treat you well. I think the definition of love is still self-sacrificing, self-giving, caring for and being concerned with uh, the well-being of the individual, regardless of what who they are, or if they find themselves uh, even abusing substances, or even taking advantage of you. I think the real question here is, how do we actually love them? Like the, the definition of love is not changed. It's, well, what do I do when I have a husband, if I'm a wife who has a husband who is uh, mistreating you or acting rudely towards you or is drinking consistently? What is the loving thing to do? Well, I will argue really easily, if you're in the church, then you need to bring your husband to the pastors, 
right? I mean, if you if you if you have a husband who isn't being a godly husband, he needs to come and he needs to start going through counseling. If not, uh, if if he's active in the church, he's a Christian, particularly. He needs there. There needs to be some type of maybe individual church discipline, or at least some some meetings to talk about. Hey, what's actually going on here? Uh, because we maybe we don't have the whole story, but the reality here is the definition of love doesn't change. Uh, how we apply our Christian faith uh, is what we have to ask. Is the actual determining question here? What do I do when my husband is drinking consistently and acting rudely toward me? Which is the what they ask here? Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand. It isn't loving to allow a brother to sin without saying something. Maybe like, I will not put up with his drunkenness or constant ver- verbal put-downs. But on the other hand, is that your position? Well, I think as a spouse, I think it is a very good thing to uh, <laughs> not to not put up with drunkenness or constant verbal put-downs and, and by biblically calling out sin and calling them to righteousness and repentance uh, while make, giving them a pathway to... Uh, to live out their position as a husband. So absolutely. I think uh, the biblical principles there would be, okay, you know, all of us, every one of us, it doesn't matter what relationship you're in, is doing what Jesus says, is taking that log out of your eye so you can remove the speck from them. So you got to ask yourself, okay, uh, my job is to help my husband see his sin for what it is and what he's doing. Uh, and so I need, to, I need to figure out a way to love him in such a way where I'm able to call out his sin there's a great book on this, you know, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict. I think that this, we're taking our interns through this book by Ken Sandy. Great book to help you understand how to do this. We're taking that log out of our eye. We're looking at the speck over there in, in our in our husband's eyes, and we're going to say, I want to help you get rid of this. And so we first have to ask ourselves, are we, do we have, are, are, is there something I'm not seeing here? Because at the end of the day, you are called to to judge one another. You just are called to judge one another appropriately. And so you have to ask, is what you're saying an appropriate judgment of your husband? And if it is, ah, okay, if it is, then that's when we can move forward from there. Call him out on us and, hey, here's what's going on. Now, if we're trying to be vindictive again, and I think this is where this idea of love and understanding, if my idea of uh, not putting up with, with what he's doing is to be vindictive and, and to find vindication through an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, then we're going to say that, that my position is that you don't do that. That'd be an unbiblical position. But if... If the position is, hey, my, my husband's really dealing with sin right now, and I, and God hates sin, and God desires uh, sinners to come to him. And so my great desire uh, for any, any spouse who is in sin is to turn away from their sin and be, re- and be redeemed and regenerate. And if they're a Christian and they've stumbled into sin, is to be to, to, to snatch them out and get them out of there. And Galatians 6.1 is a good text. Brothers, if any... Anyone is caught in any transgression. You who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Essentially, you, you as the wife are called to point you know, to to disciple your husband in the sense that hey, I need to point you to Christ to biblically call out his sin and taking the log eye, log out of your own eye, but mm-hmm. also to take out the speck in his. Right. But with the spirit of gentleness, with the goal of repentance. Yep. And if that fails, this is this is this is a. I mean, here's a shout out to life groups. This is why a community is so important. Absolutely. Because we, yeah. what's the next step? You bring someone in, and it might not hurt at all. I mean, especially if you if you're afraid or you know you're not sure how your husband respond. Uh, you know, have a man that he trusts help speak into his life. And if he's in a if he's in a life group, have the life group have your have the male leader in your life group. One of your life group leaders come in on that too. And and at the end of the day, 
if you don't feel like you have the tools, and you're part of our church, right? And you probably are because you're asking this question through our QR code. Let your pastors help lead you guys in in building up a godly marriage. And that means we're going to have to tear down some things, but don't feel like you're at this alone. You have your pastors to help you guys walk through this, and don't feel... Don't feel uh, that you, you don't have our, our, our hearts and, our, and our, our hands involved in this. Uh, reach out to us. We'd love to help you walk through that. And so we, do, we want you to live in a godly marriage. We want you to live in a, in a healthy marriage. And that does include uh, your husband treating you well. And it also requires you to love your husband in a, in a way that, that is biblical and honoring to the Lord. All right. And well, that last, this is another question, right? Uh, I, I think it ties in. You know, should you express yourself but oh, stay and okay. serve lovingly, no matter right. if they change or not? That's actually, right. that's actually that's a good question. Well, what does the Bible say? There you go. <laughs> that's the question. What does First Corinthians teach? Or Second Corinthians? Second Corinthians seven. First Corinthians. First Corinthians seven. What does it say? Let me pull it up for you. That if you know if if they desire, I mean, especially even if it's a non-believer and they they commit to staying with you, what does it say? To win them over without a word. Right. That, that your job isn't to try to leave. Your job is to stay. Now, this, of course, we, we've talked about the... It, it's funny because everything we've talked about over the last few weeks would play a part in answering this question. Go back and read and listen to the sermon on re, on marriage and divorce, and it would really answer that question there for you as well. All right. Well, I think I have time for maybe one more question, talking about kind of progressive holiness. Mm -hmm. We talked about loving others indiscriminately. We talked about the question, you know, reject the world's superficial definition of love. Uh, But kind of point number three, intentionally pursue progressive holiness. Um, Before I ask my question, you know, Matthew 5, Pastor Hayden, we have a couple audiences we have to keep in mind. Yep. We have the audience of people at the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. But Matthew ain't writing to them necessarily. He's writing to a group of Christians. Right. And so we have to think about them. And so the 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 thing is, is like, all right, to be, actually, before we get there, the inclusio you mentioned, at yep. the very end, we hit the very end of an inclusio. Which, what, is, what is an inclusio? Right. An inclusio is kind of the bookends to a section of teaching uh, where we have the, the, the kind of the conclusion uh, wrapped up uh, at the last verse that you actually find started at the first verse of that pericope. And so the bookend you have here that we saw there in verse 20 of uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 was, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, here there's this, I, this problem that I'm left with is, oh, on one hand, the Pharisees are always trying to do the righteous thing, externally at least, and Jesus says you got to be more righteous than them. To enter the kingdom of heaven. And what does that more righteousness look like in verse 48? In verse 48, it tells us that righteousness and that righteousness is there. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So, that, so it's more than the people. It's more than the people. It's got to be God. I'm reflecting God, right? And, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and so he spends all that time in between those two texts showing the righteousness of the Pharisees that's external and not at all indicative of, a, of someone who's saved or following God, and then corrects that by saying, here's what it actually looks like to follow the Christ, that the, the, the greater righteousness or the righteousness that comes from the Father. And so there's that that I think is important to understand, and I think that audience distinction you were making earlier is the fact that Matthew is writing this to a Christian audience. So we have then have to ask our question, how do we then apply this as Christians the way that Matthew was in... Uh, uh, that that he intended this Christian audience to apply this when they read this, because you have a couple things. You have 
the hey, you, we all fail. We we all fail at this. We have all we're all guilty of each one of these sayings. Right. And at the same time, we're supposed to live them out. Right. And so the only way we can live them out is if we realize we failed. We submit to Christ. Now we have the Holy Spirit, and now we're able to live them out with the Holy Spirit. Right. So now comes the question. What is the Holy Spirit's role? And then what is our role with this progressive holiness, this right. pro- progressive perfection, progressive sanctification? Right. I think uh, as we did in the sermon is saying, hey, what is the law? What's the role of the law? Right. In one hand, for the non-Christian, particularly many people in Jesus's audience who uh, said they were followers of God but rejected him, uh, to say, hey, here's the here's the mirror, here's the law, and the, when you look into this law, you realize that you, that you don't measure up, and that the more you try, the more ugly you actually realize you are because you continue failing and you're worse off than you thought, and that mirror reflects the reality of your heart. And then secondly, the role of the law in the in the life of the Christian is to say, with a new heart, because I'm a new create, I'm a new creation. Second Second uh, uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 uh, teach me that, and I have the Holy Spirit in me who, who's uh, his role as the third person of the triune Godhead in relation to me as a regenerate believer is that he would convict me concerning uh, salvation, righteousness, and judgment, uh, that he would also be my helper, uh, and that he would also be the down payment and the seal of my salvation, all of those in which are going to do something uh, in regard to my living for Christ daily, and that means he's going to grow me. He's going to progressively make me like him. Every day that I live as a Christian, I'm going to be, uh, as uh, Paul says, uh, taken from one degree of glory to the next uh, within the the con- within the context of uh sanctification or holiness, that he's going to continue making me like him. So that's the Holy Spirit's role in this uh, progressive holiness, in this idea that Christ is telling us to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a promise in that, that that God is going to be uh, progressing you. And I wish I had more synonyms for progressive, but he's going to... It's good insurance, uh, apparently. Yeah, yeah, he's going to continue uh, step by step uh, conforming you to the image of Christ. So that really, as I look at the Sermon on the Mount, I say, although this is something I cannot do perfectly, which always means that no matter how old I get, I'm always going to need to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit and trust that he's going to continue growing me. But I have this promise that he's going to. I mean, that's the great promise of Ezekiel 36, that he is going to it's gonna cause happen. me He's going to cause me to walk in his ways, cause me to obey his commandments. And so the the command of uh, that text there in verse 48 is also wound up in a promise that he is perfecting me as I live for him. And so what's going to help us is that we just don't sit there through osmosis thinking we're going to grow. Yeah, yeah Thinking, okay, absolutely. God's in complete control, therefore I, I'll just sit here until he kind of... I'm a right. robot puppet. Which is Keswickian theology, if you know what that is. And it's this idea, let go and let God, that I have no part to play in this. And that is an errant theology. And then there's the flip side of I'm just going to, I'm just going to grind things out. Right. Without Rather, depending on the Lord. What, what you said to our, our life group leaders was very helpful is what this means is, is we have to submit to the Holy Spirit and what his word says and also the conviction he gives us that matches his word and follow him and obey him. 
Absolutely. And, you know, with that, it's going to help us be able to know what to do. And so if we just follow God's Holy, the Holy Spirit in his word and that conviction, he's going to lead us to the direction he wants to take us. Right. Absolutely. All right. So we have, actually, any more final thoughts? That's it. I think to sum up, that last thing you said is simply the Holy Spirit's work uh, is to convict us and to uh, empower us to walk. And so as we submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and and through understanding the work of the Spirit, through reading His Word and submitting ourselves to the Word of God, we're going to find that the Holy Spirit's going to be the one guiding us every step of the way as we submit to the Word of God. And with that, it's the, the, what you said earlier, the way we keep doing that is to remember the promise that God will do it. And so we yep. can approach any situation and any um, circumstance and obey obey God. Mm-hmm. We can do so with complete trust, knowing that God will give me the strength to do this. I'm going to follow through. Even though I'm t- terrified and scared, I'm going to follow through. Right. And insufficient on my own. That's one yep. to add. All right, guys. Hey, announcements. what I would love to do for the announcements is, hey, this is kind of the new layout of our Equip podcast. We'd love your feedback. If you like it, let us know. If you don't, uh, just let him know. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't, you email Evan at compasshillcountry.org. No, email Linda or, at compasshillcountry.org. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd love to your feedback on going through these questions. Is that helpful for you guys? Is this a beneficial part of your uh, weekly podcast intake? Uh, but as far as announcements goes, we got a few. A women's breakfast, Saturday, July the 22nd from 9 to 11 a.m. We'd love all the women to be here. Uh, just remind your gals of that in life group this week to be at the women's breakfast. Uh, another announcement we just want to let our whole church know is uh, Mark Owen, who uh, tragically passed away over the, a few weeks ago in a, in a tragic car accident. We are having his uh, his memorial, his funeral this uh, this Saturday at 4 p.m. And we just want to invite you, uh, as a member of this church, to come and uh, to come mourn with the family, to come rejoice in how God has worked in in His, in his sovereign will uh, through Mark's life. Uh, and to come uh, support uh, both Cynthia and uh, their new baby boy. I mean, he's just weeks old, uh, Mark Jr. Uh, It's 4 p.m. here at the church. We'd love for you to come support them. Uh, Also, after that, if there's men, we are having to flip the building about three or four times for all the events happening over uh, over that day and Sunday. And so we need your help flipping... Uh, the room about two or three times. If you're available, we'd love for you to help. So if you can show up a little early and stay a little later, that would be wonderful. Uh, we have a prayer night that next evening from 5 to 6.30 p.m. The family room is available for those who want to bring their kiddos uh, to our prayer night. We want to encourage you to take seriously our fifth distinctive, to have a genuine reliance on prayer. And on that Sunday, so prayer night Sunday night, on Sunday morning we have our baptisms. Baptism Sunday, and that's exactly right. Uh, so we have our student revival coming up. The theme is the kingdom of heaven. There is still time to register for that. The dates for that are July the 27th through through July the 30th. And we look forward to inviting all of our students on campus into their host homes to invest in them uh, when it comes to understanding the kingdom of heaven. Our last kids camp is coming up. The science camp registration is still open. So I want to encourage you guys to sign up for that uh, that camp Sign up closes on July the 30th. And then final announcement is baptism service. We have a baptism coming up next Sunday, 
but that baptism's full, so we already have another one on the calendar, another August one. the 27th. Registrations are open for that, and that is also filling up. We have many more people who need to be baptized, and if that's you, we'd love for you to sign up for our baptisms on August the 27th. You can do that at compasshillcountry.org slash baptisms. All right, Compass, we're grateful for you. We're praying that you would apply the Word of God to your life in every way, every day, and that the power of the Holy Spirit would, would encourage you and give you uh, the, uh, the, the, the power and the, uh, just the desire to walk in his ways. We pray that that would be the case for you this week. We're excited that life groups are back in action, which I guess should have been an announcement. We're life back. Life groups are back. Be at your life group this week. Looking forward to what God's going to do. We'll Life's see you this weekend. See you Tuesday. <laughs>